0: Latitude 53 degrees 12 minutes 49.9 seconds north. Longitude 5 degrees 37 minutes 56.3 seconds west. Calling
1: Zephyr 1, Zephyr 1, Zephyr 1, c Base yeah. over. Calling Zephyr 1, Zephyr 1, Zephyr 1, c
0: Base over. Where is it? And what is it? Zephyr One is an oil rig built in Texas four years ago at a cost of $25 million and now hired by Amoco Island, the oil and gas exploration company. It rides like a great steel monster in the chilly waters of the Kish Basin, 25 miles off Dublin. It's drilling the first well to be sunk in the area officially designated as 3222 and the figure one that's added to those figures means that it's the first well in that sector of our offshore waters. People who live in Hoth or Caligny can see the lights of Zephyr 1 twinkling at night. It looks like a miniature city floating out there in the Irish Sea. What is Amoco looking for? Kenneth Sowell, the company's resident manager in Ireland.
2: If we find something, it should be gas. Uh, you
3: know, you, say you expect to find nothing. I mean the odds are certainly in favour of a dry hole but, uh, but as I say if we do find something it should be gas. And then what happens? Then we have to decide how big it is.
0: Who hunts for these natural resources beneath the floor of the Irish Sea? All types of men and many nationalities. Divers, geologists, roughnecks, roustabouts. Men who have found their way into this unusual trade because it offers adventure or good money or both.
4: For me, it's been a little bit of a love-hate relationship. I've been diving in the water since I was 17 years of age. I've been diving commercially, say from 22, the age of 22 onwards. Uh, I left it to go fishing and do various jobs, but at present I'm back at it Three years, fully commercial again. It's a job if you start, it's very, very, very hard to leave it.
3: When I left school, I went away to, to sea. I was in the Merchant Navy, and this is something similar to what now, like, now. You
5: know, me. I'm an unemployed secondary school teacher, so I have no fucking option <laughs> to come out here and work to earn money, you know.
0: These men work so that the geologists on board may analyse the cuttings brought up from the well in the ocean bed, cuttings that may hold the promise of a natural oil or gas find.
6: If you're drilling a hole in your wall, you're getting cuttings, if you were to save those, they're washed up with the, with the mud or the fluid they're using, and these are collected from the shakers which you've probably seen washed. and that's it these are just chippings. Like if you use your black and decker in your wall, you're going to get chippings. Yeah. <laughs> have some ideas as to whether you've got plastic, whether you've got brick or stone or whatever in your wall, they come up much like this. That's where you hope the secret lies. which we hope the secret lies, where it all comes up.
0: Seventy men have been working on Zephyr 1 at any one time, two weeks on and two weeks off, since it first arrived at the Kish Basin at the beginning of November from its previous location off the coast of Cornwall. The rig is what is known as a semi-submersible. The section containing the equipment and supplies and the crew accommodation is above water. The rest of the rig lies below the surface and is held in position by anchors. Supplies and equipment are ferried out to the rig by two supply boats from the Ocean Inchcape base at Alexandra Basin in Dublin.
3: Calling Zephyr 1, Zephyr 1,
1: Zephyr 1, sea base, over. Uh, sea base, Zephyr 1. Paul, could we speak to Dan Lavery, please, Celtic Sea Divers? Jim Dunn is here. He'd like to speak with him, over. Zephyr uh, 1. OK, Paul, standing by.
0: The crew members and any urgent pieces of equipment are flown by helicopter from another base at Dublin Airport.
7: Uh, Dan, look, I've got this tide and current meter coming out on the half-past 12 helicopter. Will you be coming back in on that one? Uh,
3: is that the first one or the second one,
7: over? Uh, the first helicopter.
3: Well, we don't honestly know Jeff, over.
7: Okay, that's a, uh, as long as um, there's somebody there to meet and take this uh, current and current meter off. Uh, you do have a, a Met man on board, do you? Negative, negative. Uh, there's no know Batman. Uh, right, what you've got to do is, <clears throat> what I would suggest with this one is to take it to the furthest point of the rig away from, away from the stack so that there's no danger of this uh, current meter getting caught up in the stack. Uh, there will be self-explanatory uh, records there which uh, need to be taken every so often. Uh, actually, they're tide uh, graphs. Uh, you can, When you see them, you'll know exactly what has got to be done with them.
0: At the airport, Richard Casper gives the pilot a weather check before the helicopter takes off.
7: Okay. Wind north
3: northwest 15 to 20 knots. Sea northwest 10 to 12 feet. Roll 1 degree. Pitch 1 degree. Heave 2 to 3 feet. Temperature 40 degrees. Barometer, 1023 millibars. (laughs) 1023. Yeah, sure is. Sky, 3 over 8. Ceiling, 1500 feet. Visibility, 15 miles. And the weather is fine to fair. Uh, Now, the itinerary will be um, a shutdown on the rig. there will be a, a, a change from that.
0: The helicopter touches down on a landing pad on the top deck of the rig. Out on the decks where the derrick reaches up a 100 feet into the sky, it can be wet and windy. Below decks it's warm and well equipped for comfortable living by the crew. Unlike a ship, the rig doesn't roll very much, but in bad weather it does rise and fall. The rig superintendent, Phil Davies, is a Welshman who's worked on oil rigs all over the world. He explains.
8: From these two pontoons, we have columns which come up, and then the main deck here where we're standing on is built upon these columns. Uh, The whole purpose of these semi-submersible rigs is that by having your main load-bearing pontoons at this depth, 40 to 50 or maybe even 70 feet beneath the sea level, the main wave action doesn't act upon them. So although we're actually floating in the same manner as the ship floats, we don't experience nearly the same amount of motion as the ship. So we, right now we're just rolling about one degree and our heave is about two or three inches. Heave is vertical movement. So we're just moving up and down very gently. To keep us in position, we have eight anchor chains, two at each corner of the rig. These anchor chains are two and three-quarter inches. At the end of each anchor chain, we have a 30,000-pound anchor.
0: The rig is self-contained. They don't have to rely even on the ESB. When the weather is rough, as it has been in the Irish Sea during the past few weeks, the men get little sleep. Martin Arkley, a marine engineer from Sunderland, is the barge master on Zephyr 1. He had weather problems from the start.
2: Well, we had slight problems... Uh... The weather itself uh, started to worsen around about 8 o'clock in the evening and picked up till about midnight. We are having 50 to 60-knot winds. This was pushing the rig off location very slightly. Uh, Normally we monitor this on a whole position unit which at that time was supposed to be functioning on a riser angle beacon which just gives you the angle of the riser as opposed to the rig. Now that beacon went out at about midnight, and we had to run a secondary beacon down one of the guidelines to give us our hole position. Now once we'd done this, we estimated that we are about nine feet off the hole, which in this shallow depth is quite a, a margin. Normally you're drilling in about 300 feet of water, and nine feet wouldn't mean so much. But uh, that's... Nine feet uh, consequently gave us the, the problem of wondering whether we were slipping an anchor or not, so most of the night I've just been up checking anchor tensions, checking around to make sure that the rig didn't move any further off location. And
0: how difficult is that work in this type of weather?
2: Well, the fact is that if you've got strong seas running against you, you dare not pull on the anchors at that side in case you loosen them from the seabed, and that consequently you'd lose the hole altogether. You'd move right off. So the only thing you can do is slacken off on the lee side so that you have no tension pulling against you and allow the rig to drift back over as far as you can. Uh, if this doesn't work there is nothing you can do. You can just sit and wait the weather out. Uh, it's up to the drilling superintendent then whether he wants to pull out of the hole or unlatch the riser from the seabed. But
0: as the weeks went by the weather got worse.
2: Now, this particular location
8: uh, is somewhat rougher than many others in the sense that you have strong currents in addition to the the regular strong weather conditions. So when we first anchored up, we found that we had problems keeping the rig positioned exactly over the hole with just our eight anchors. So since then, we've piggybacked all the anchors. Piggybacking is simply that we have the main anchor down on the end of the chain, and we attach a cable and an additional anchor to this main anchor. And Since then, we've found that we've been able to weather the storms and that we're keeping on location very well.
9: Oh, oh! Down I turn it, to it. Turn it back to left.
0: The Kish Basin is a new area for oil and gas exploration. Despite ultra-modern equipment, problems are inevitable. The crews work out on the drilling deck in all weathers, sinking the drill day by day to a target of 5,000 feet into the seabed. The drill shaft whizzes round and round, and the bit eats its way into the seabed like a monster dentist's drill.
9: Oh, oh. down, it? I it, I was. Hold it. Turn it back the left.
8: As you can see, we basically all we have is this Derrick, which will be about 147 feet high. Now uh, underneath this spider here, that's the big circular white thing we have, the rotary table. Drilling is a very simple process. Basically, all you do is you have a bit on bottom, you allow a certain amount of weight to go onto it, and you rotate it, which is what we use the rotary table for. And what we're doing right at this moment in time, this is the riser. This will be made up to the BOP stack, which you saw sitting down in the spider beams. We we'll then run the BOP stack down to bottom, and we mate that up with our wellhead, which is sitting just slightly above the seabed. Once that's mated up and tested out, the top joint of this riser would be what we call a slip joint which has an inner barrel which can move up and down and this allows us to take care of the rig's motion so we don't tear everything apart we'll then drill inside that riser so effectively while we're drilling we always have communication with the seabed and then from the seabed with the hole this allows us to get our samples back up and to control the situation should we ever come across Board. high pressure or whatever. Basically, drilling is like I say, it's very simple. We have the one hoist here which we call the draw works. And the uh, pick
9: this thing up a little bit. Don't no we
1: to
8: And the whole derrick here effectively just acts like a crane.
1: A bit. We have just a, a,
8: bit. a traveling block up here, which you'll see on top of the riser. And when he picks up on the drawworks here, he picks up the drawworks, and the traveling block moves up and down. Now, this allows us to run our pipe in and out of the hole, but it also allows us to control the weight that we have on the bit, because the last few joints that we have are directly Good. above the bit, are what we call drill collars, which are very thick walled steel pipe. They weigh somewhere oh, in the region left, 240 pounds a foot. Oh, oh. So when we run on down to bottom, if we touch bottom, if we're holding all the weight on the draw works, then there's no weight acting on the bit. And just by simply slacking off on the draw works, easing down a little bit, more and more the weight, and we can control it, gets put onto the bit. So we can control exactly how much force we put on the bit at any one time. And then we can turn the rotary at any speed we want to. Obviously different formations require different techniques for drilling in the most efficient manner.
0: The men who do the rough work around the rig are called roustabouts in the trade. The terms used are American and picturesque. The roustabouts load and unload the materials from the supply boats.
3: When I left school I went away to sea. I was in the Merchant Navy and this is something similar to what now, like now. It suits me.
0: So you're used to it in a way? Yes. Is this the first rig you've been this on? This is the first rig I've been on, yes. How long have you been on the rig so far? I've been on it two
6: weeks
10: now. Two for a leave in a couple of days'
6: time.
0: Jerry McGuinness from Dublin. The men who work on the drilling floor are the roughnecks. John O'Sullivan from Cork makes no excuses for doing this job.
5: Money, basically. What sort of money can you make? Well, we get 6.25 a trip. That's for a two week um, stint. Two weeks on, two weeks off. But I mean, I do it seasonally, you know. I'm a. I'm an unemployed secondary school teacher, so I have no fucking option <laughs> I have to come out here and work to earn money, you know.
0: How long will you stay on this rig? It's
5: a loaded question, oh, uh, probably until the whole is finished, which will be sometime after Christmas, you know. This is a short term contract, as you know, you know, so probably stay on it until it's finished. Do you think there's any danger? Anyway, you know that's great danger and that's why we're paid so much money, obviously. But I mean, you know, you look after yourself. After a while you get to know where the risks are and you learn when to stay out of the way and when not to stay, you know, when to jump in. Have you had any, shall I say, narrow escapes so far? Well, you know, narrow escapes or things being missed by pipes by inches and that kind of thing you do have them like you know but I mean I broke my ribs on the, on the glomer alright you know but that was just a fairly minor thing you know I cracked a couple of ribs I fell down a ladder you know. I've had lots of narrow escapes nearly falling off things you know nearly been hit by pipes nearly been hit by swinging hooks from the crane you know nearly falling into the moon pool. especially when you're working without a safety harness which sometimes you're, you do you know
0: but you still carry on
5: yeah always saying this will be the last time though. (laughs) The Roughnecks
0: and the Roustabouts know the dangers above the waves. The other dangers lie beneath the waves. Six divers are on Zephyr One, ready to go down in a diving bell, but only when the tides are slack. Eddie Plunkett of Ringsend in Dublin. A diving team of six divers is generally made up with each man
4: specialising in one or two parts of his work. For instance, we have Tony Cullen from Dublin also, who is the paramedic for the diving team. A paramedic to a diver is the man who will check him out when he comes up from a dive. As you may or may not know, after spending so many minutes at a certain depth on the bottom, we go through a thing called decompression, just to keep it... Non-technical, it means that when the the diver comes up, he must spend a period of time in the decompression chamber. This is monitored by the superintendent and the paramedic. If any symptoms occur through, through this decompression, after the decompression, a period of up to 12 hours after it, this paramedic is on hand to give recompression treatment and keep us all happy and safe as possible. Um, all dives are tape-recorded, as this recording is. We have a television camera which scans the bottom as the diver's in doing his walk, it's practical. And we have a complete safety unit here which uh, ensures everything goes smooth.
0: And many of you th- think about the dangers?
4: Um, I think danger. To us comes in many, many ways. Because of our professional attitude and approach to the job, we do the utmost to ensure that this does not creep into us. We think that the drillers and the roustabouts working on the drill floor here have twice as much a dangerous job as we have. With flying wires, parking cables, you've got to see it to believe it. But Because we take such infinite steps and cares, You must be checking out your equipment two hours before any dive to ensure that every piece of equipment is spot on. So we don't call it a risky business, we call it a safe business because we ensure that it is.
0: Why do men take on jobs like these? André Storm from Holland has been a diver since his teens. My oldest brother, he was
4: diver and he's 10 years older than me so when he came home when I was a little boy he told us all the stories about diving and things like that so I was really interested so just grown grown up in me you know so when I was 17 I started to do my first dive with him until I was uh, say 18 joined the army, the army and uh, from there on I kept diving all the time
0: Everything is done to make life tolerable when the men are off duty. The crew quarters on Zephyr One are as good as on an ocean-going liner. The men can watch films around the clock, eight different films a week, from The Duchess and the Dirtwater Fox to Silver Streak. And the
10: food is a lot better than in most restaurants on shore. Breakfast would be, right, uh, bacon, egg, sausage, tomatoes, beans, mushrooms, toast... Uh, any cereal that you require, and uh, coffee, tea, cocoa, Horlicks, Ovaltine. Lunch is usually uh, a well-prepared meal, something unusual, Uh, probably beef shogunoff with uh, a plain sort of meal with it. And dinner usually is steak, with other additives because of the crew changing in the morning. You know, sometimes they like us an egg and steak for breakfast. So usually you'll get a steak, T-bone steak, on a nighttime meal so that the people who are just getting up for work can have steak and eggs if they want steak and eggs. So, in other words, the catering crew have to work round the clock also? Oh, that's right, yeah. Now, you usually have eight or nine catering staff on board, five of which work in the galley, Three on days and two on nights, and the you have one doing the laundry, twelve hours a day, and two cleaning all rooms and offices, twelve hours a day. Brian Critton, a medic aboard Zephyr One, who describes the accommodation. Well, they're usually four men cabins, and they're quite spaceful. You've got four lockers in the cabins to put away your hang your personal gear in. They're kept clean. If they're not kept clean, then the, the cages are told about it on the inspection. And, but the only, the only thing wrong with quarters is the noise, as I've said before. But that has to apply to all rigs, is noise. But uh, after two or three days, one gets used to it, and you're inclined to ignore the noise. Sometimes they drop something on the deck and it sort of wakes you up, but that's most unusual.
0: In case of accidents, the medic on board must be ready to cope. And
10: we've got <coughs> on board medically. We've got everything that one could desire, from a headache pill to a uh, operation if one wanted to do that. But of course, the doctor would be flown in, and he would have to do the operation. But we we do uh, stitching and uh, fix breaks. But uh, you've got everything that uh, a doctor would need, all the instruments in a case and uh, all the drugs that one man need for pain. The nerve centre of the rig is 64 feet above sea level. This
0: is the control area, or the nursery, as it's called.
3: Uh, We control all ballasting systems for the rig here. Uh, We we don't control any fuel systems, uh, drill water. We control all safety devices, uh, foghorn systems, VHF systems, and... uh, whole positioning equipment and weather
0: equipment all is all kept down here. At this level are you affected in any way by the weather have conditions? One controls, one uh,
3: at, at this level the only conditions, uh, if the weather gets really
10: bad. We find that the, the water can
0: sometimes shove some day, of these portals yeah, through, clear. you know. The cost of operating Zephyr One is around $50,000 a day, so time is money, and consequently tempers are sometimes short. The control area
2: in touch with one of the supply boats. Uh, Roger, roger. Uh, If you like, I'll bring you in at the aft end first and backload you with uh, containers, etc. You could uh, drag those up your deck, seeing it's clear now, and then we'll load you with this uh, riser pipe and so on from the forward end. Over.
11: Yeah, that's all uh, right, sir. But sometime maybe you'll be ready to start
2: on your own, then. I'll be ready around about midday, I would think. Over. Around oh, about midday. OK. That's midday, right, yes. Uh...
0: Whoops, no bad language. Nobody wants to fall into Moonpool on Zephyr 1, the cavity in the middle of the deck which looks directly down into the sea. But the chances of death on a rig are said to be ten times greater than in coal mining and 50 times greater than in general industry, The risk of being swept into the sea is a continuous fear in rough weather and many of the men are in constant danger of accidents. They need physical skill and strength and split-second timing, one of the reasons why no alcohol is allowed on board.
2: There's there's danger in everything that you do on a rig. It can be a danger from uh, operations side, It it could be a danger from... A man making a mistake himself could be a danger from any type of thing. Uh, Breaking of uh, lines, drops, ropes, breakdown of a crane, anything. You can just have danger in every way you look, this is the thing. Uh, The one reason why there's no booze on rigs or anything like that, the simple reason that if anyone was under the affluence of alcohol, you know for a fact that uh, there would be more accidents.
0: Martin Arkley's wife Carmel comes from Offaly. They have a six-year-old daughter and they live in Sunderland. How does she feel about the dangers?
3: Well, I never really think about it. You know, it's uh, it's just uh, the occupation he's chosen and that's it.
0: If you know the weather is very bad, as it has been here in recent weeks, do you think about it?
3: Well, I try not to think about it, really.
0: Like the roustabouts and the divers and the roughnecks, the geologists, too, work around the clock, constantly monitoring whatever the drill turns up. Charlie Rubel.
1: Our basic function uh, is to, um, to look for oil and gas, and um, we do this by analysing the samples, looking at them uh, through a microscope, and uh, through this process of running various tests on them, and through the microscope, we can de- uh, tell whether there is any oil or gas there. Uh, predominantly oil, though, because it's easier to see. Uh, gas very often uh, is difficult to see in in the samples themselves. However, we have these sophisticated uh, gas detecting um, uh, instrumentation and machines there that uh, that records the gas if there's any gas in the mud system or the samples. Why? It will uh, record the gases total gas and they can even break down the gases into um, the various components C2, uh, methane, ethane, propane and isobutane and so on.
0: This is a new area for you though isn't it?
1: Well it's first time I my first experience in the REC but um, It doesn't matter where you are in the world, uh, the sediments are all basically the same and um, no one place is more unique than another. Uh, That is the sediments uh, being drilled here in the Irish Sea are probably very similar to those found in the North Sea or uh, in any parts of the world.
0: How much of your work can you do on the rig or how much would you have to send ashore to be examined?
1: Uh, Probably only for the age-dating. We um, collect the samples, of course, and um, we send them ashore to uh, be uh, age-dated. And also, if we're interested in um, the geochemistry of the samples, um, that is, their potential to uh, hydrocarbon sources, why then we can send those also to uh, various laboratories either here in Europe or the United States, and they can uh, give us a pretty good uh, breakdown of the, any hydrocarbon potential that we may have there.
0: In layman's language, any signs of oil. If there is something beneath the Kish Basin, whether oil or gas, the secret may be found in a handful of cuttings which can be examined closely. Geologist Raymond Hockey.
6: Well, we have this little gadget here, the fluoroscope, There's nothing particularly magical about the thing. There are little fluorescent lamps in the thing. And um, oil will fluoresce. Other things will also fluoresce, but oil has certain colours, depending on the type of oil. And also it's treated uh, with a cutting agent. A little fluid here you put on, and it will actually release parts of the oil and and give you some idea of the type of oil, depending on the way it is released and colours that come up. And uh, this is your first indication. So this is really where you actually see the thing coming up. You imagine all this colossal apparatus here, 67 men. And you really what you end up with is this, there's that, and that's... <laughs> Which is a collection of what? Well, these are the cuttings from the bit. The bit is... Uh, Like any, if you're drilling a hole in your wall, you're getting cuttings. If you were to save those, they're washed up with the the mud or the fluid they're using. And these are collected from the shakers which you've probably seen. Washed. And that's it. These are just chippings. Beyond that, we have other gadgets, of course. The the electrical gadgets. Uh, Other companies like Schlumberger who um, drop various probes down, measure all sorts of things, electrical resistivities and heaven knows what. And that gives you a another confirmation of what you've got. uh, It responds to all sorts of um, uh, peculiarities in the rock. and, And from that you can... From your interpretation, all geology's interpretation. On the
0: lower deck of the rig is the mud room. Not just any old mud, but a mixture of chemicals and water brought in by supply boats and pumped down the drill shaft. The mud circulates, and when it comes up again, it brings the cuttings with it, cuttings which have lain beneath the sea for hundreds of millions of years.
8: It takes a certain period of time, obviously, for the fluid to go down to the bottom of the hole and come all the way back up, but you can keep a record of that time, and when you, you get a sample here, and it's a, at a shallow depth, it's 15 minutes after you drilled it, you've got a, a sample of that formation, which you can then look at and see whether you went through a sandstone or a limestone, or whether it was oil or gas bearing, or at least it gives you some indication. It's, it's not a, a final answer, but it, it's a certain, certainly good information on it as you get deeper obviously um, but what we call the lag time, in other words the time it takes for a piece of rock that you've drilled up to come back to the surface increases and I'd say ten or eleven thousand feet it could be anything up to one and a half, two hours so effectively you're always in that slight zone of darkness there that you've, you've drilled something you don't really know what it is for a few hours time which is why people have started bringing out these new computerized units which from how fast you're drilling and the forces that you're putting on the bit, they come back and they try and make an estimate of what the formation is and what the pressure is. So they're trying to give you information ahead of the time that you actually get it. and They're making the best guess at it.
0: Could there be a blowout on Zephyr 1, one of those uncontrollable outpourings of energy sources exploding from the bed of the sea? The exploration company takes every precaution to prevent such a happening. It couldn't happen...
8: Not unless we made a mistake. <laughs> the whole object, of the exercise is to, to find an oil or gas zone, but to find it under control. Yes. So what we try and do is this mud fluid that we're talking about is uh, in its simplest form is just a clay mixed with water. Now then you can add various chemicals to it and it's you know, like a, a cookery book, you can, you can do almost anything you want to it. But One of the materials you can add to it is called bayrite, which has a very high specific gravity and this actually increases the weight of the fluid. Now, if you have a column of fluid acting down there, it's going to exert a certain amount of pressure on the formation, and by increasing the weight of the fluid, then we can increase the pressure that we exert upon the formation. So what we always try and do is have a greater pressure in our column of fluid than the pressure in the formation
0: that we penetrate. And then uh, we don't have a blower. There are other precautions, those of security, not just on the rig, but also on the supply boats ferrying to and from Zephyr 1 and on the helicopters that fly between the rig and Dublin airport.
3: Well, in so much as every man has to pass through Ocean Cape Ireland's office, we, we, we have to uh, photograph each man going to the rig. Um, we have a colour code for each man going to the rig, so uh, we can identify him with his particular job Uh, or company that he works for. The basic worries, actually believe it or not, would be hijacking of the helicopter in so much as the the, um, security on Dublin airport insists that each man is physically searched going to the helicopter for for the possible carrying of guns.
0: And what about on the rig itself? Uh,
3: The rig isn't uh, concerned Uh, about the possibility of guns, but uh, certainly they they watch out for other types of contraband. Is there,
0: let's say, a secondary aspect to this security operation?
3: Yes, the photographs that we take, we take four altogether. One we make up a security pass with. Uh, We keep one uh, on a board in our own office in the airport and one goes to the rig, each having the person's name on it. Um, the fourth one goes to our uh, office in the uh, North Quay extension and that goes with his personnel record. This, of course, is used in the event of any accident or catastrophe on the rig. We can, we can tie everybody up with a name, with a picture, with, with a
0: family. At Alexandra Basin, the same security you're probably aware we
9: have our own Harbour Police force which operates in this area. Uh Uh, Just behind the office where we are at the moment is the Harbour Police Headquarters with their own communication centre and um, that was one of the reasons why Ocean Inchcape were quite keen on using this area because uh, the whole thing is under 24 hour supervision from the Harbour Police Centre just at the uh, Northwall Extension gates.
0: At Alexandra Basin, the Ocean Inch Cape Company run the supply vessels to and from the rig.
11: We are the onshore end of the offshore operation. We um, have a supply base here. Uh, we have a, a bonded warehouse, an open yard storage area, and uh, we have the facilities, the dock, port and docks facilities, cranes, and that we have uh, Stevedores uh, port services, Stevedoring Company. Uh, operate for us. We schedule and run the supply vessels, the Sea Bruin and the Sea Bruce, uh, with supplies to and from the rig as required. Um,
0: Was it a new operation for you, something that you hadn't
11: No, had I, I'd been with uh, Ocean Inchcape uh, the previous season. We were, we were operating out of foins, uh, uh, doing a similar operation to the uh, Sedco 707 rig on the Porcupine Bank Uh, we also have a base of course in Galway which we're operating the Demonex rig uh, on the Porcupine Bank as well most of our staff here, most of the Ocean Inchcape uh, staff here in Dublin are drawn from the other bases Uh, this operation here is uh, just a short term operation, it's was anticipated that it would be over and completed within three months.
0: Martin Tuig at Alexandra Basin. On the rig, there's radio communication with the supply boats.
2: I'll be uh, tied up for at least another hour, but if you can start uh, getting your anchor up or whatever and uh, preparing to come in alongside, we'll start backloading you around about midday, over. And on shore.
11: On the rig end of it, on the, on the offshore end of it, uh, they did have some... Uh, difficulties with the weather but that didn't upset our operation from here. Um, we work 24 hours a day, hail, rain or snow and sunshine too. Uh, so we've had no hold up from this end. We got uh, terrific cooperation from all the other uh, departments and, and uh, people concerned who we are working in conjunction with.
0: When the operation is finished, what happens then?
11: Well, when in, in this base here, when this operation finishes, any of the equipment that's not required will be uh, shipped out to uh, other bases. Uh, back, probably some of it will be going back to Aberdeen. Uh, uh, our staff here will do a bit of leave after the, the 1977 drilling season, so we'll, we'll uh, probably work off our, our annual leave, and then we will be ready for next year's operation out of Galway Fines and Cork.
0: Obviously looking forward to a busy year. When the exploration drilling is over, the wildcat as it's known to the oil men, the rig will move on to another location, maybe in the same area, maybe somewhere else. Amoco have other concessions still to be explored in the Irish Sea, just off Dublin Bay. As the hunt for oil and gas intensifies, how does this affect the port of Dublin?
9: Uh, We have the supply vessels, two supply vessels trekking in and out fairly constantly Uh, we have the open storage area here and also the other transit areas that I mentioned and as far as we're concerned this is done on a once off payment already agreed between uh, ourselves and Ocean Inch Cape so yes there is port business in it perhaps not uh, long term substantial port business but port business nevertheless
0: This is the first operation of its kind
9: first operation of its kind in Dublin and um, we were anxious to be involved in it because it was the first operation of its kind and um, also to gain whatever experiences we could in this operation.
0: What what experience have you gained now for future operations?
9: Uh, Well Difficult to say what we would do in future operations, but very possibly we would also go on a joint venture arrangement with Ocean Inchcape or anybody else operating a service installation from the port out to any, of the, any rig that might be drilling in the Irish Sea in such a location that it will be serviced from Dublin.
0: On board the rig, the men have been isolated for weeks from the pleasures of shore living. How are they reacting? Brian Critton. I
10: think the mood of the men is quite good. The Irish uh, seem to get on well with the the rest of the crew, so I don't think there's any problems there, and uh, they get what they want. If they want an extra box of films, we usually send them an extra box of films out if we can. And uh, cigarettes, If uh, unfortunately, when we first came here, there was a problem with cigarettes, but uh, that was just a, a misunderstanding with the catering company. They thought they had a bond on, and that there wasn't a bond on, but they... Got cigarettes, so I don't think there's anything that the crew desires that they haven't got, other than the obvious, which they can't have anyway. But
0: the thing is to keep them happy and keep them comfortable.
10: Well, that's right. If you can, if you can, uh, I don't think anybody minds hard work. Well, if they did mind hard work, then there wouldn't be any good on a rig. So, uh, if once they've finished the work, that you can ensure that they sort of got dry clothing and they've got good food and. Uh, Recreation is as far as you can well put it on a rig. You're sort of limited to space, so you're limited to whatever it is. But I think if you can supply these things, then I don't see there's any grumbles. Of course, everybody moans. If there wasn't a moan, then we would know they weren't happy. But uh, basically, I think they've got everything they need. And uh, as I say, the food's good. Uh, Accommodation could be improved, but uh, uh, that's the way the rig was built, you know, it's a a sort of a small design rig rather than a large design rig, so you've got accommodation problems, but that is with all rigs, is accommodation problems of the noise, but other than that, I don't think there's any problems.
5: There's there's plenty of attraction, you escape from your uh, your hassles at home, you get a chance to kind of sit back and think about things, you appreciate things all the more when you get home probably, you know, Things things are sharpened by... Or deprivation, it's like coming out of jail or something, the same kind of thing, you know. What was your reaction when you first came up a rig Well, the first time I was on a rig I was on for three weeks after expecting to be only on for two weeks. So, the first it was a, a feeling of fantastic elation. We came in from to Cork, you know, coming down the airport road, the city spread out in front of us, great feeling, you know? fantastic. And yet, you went back again? Oh, I did, yeah. And again, and again. I've been doing it now for about five or six years, but always only for about three months a year, you know? You see, you can buy yourself so much freedom working for three or four months. You can look around for something that, well, in my case anyway, that I feel I'm better at and that i rather doing, you know? I mean, I don't like doing this, but I do it like, for the freedom that it buys in the short term.
0: And when the drilling is over, what will they do? Well, the first thing I'll do is head for a few points, and then
5: I'll go home to we'll miss it. I think I'll probably go to bed. Oh,
9: oh! Lie down easy. I no, turned it to one. Hold it.
0: Turn it back, to the left. Reticence, call it secrecy if you like, is an essential part of the exploration business. We must wait to learn the secrets of thirty-three, twenty-two, one.